Welcome back to the Owl Talk Podcast. I'm your host, Drew Carpenter. We'll continue our discussion into the history of Sigma Pi, specifically what was lost throughout the years. Grand Second Counselor Christian Mealy is here with me to recover the past of our fraternity. Christian, welcome to the podcast. In today's Sigma Pi, we use a flag that has the radiant triangle in the top left corner. However, that differs from what the official flag is. What out of these two contrast? So this is an interesting one, and... and one that uh, I, I looked up a number of years ago in the Constitution because I noticed that what, what's stated in the Constitution isn't exactly what you always see um, more often than not. So I think most of us, when we think about the Sigma Pi flag, we think about you know the purple flag with the, the white Greek letters, Sigma and Pi, in the middle of the flag, and then the, the, the 10 you know, gold stars, the you know, radiant triangle, uh, you know, without the border, of course, in the upper left-hand corner of, of that V-notched flag. But in our Constitution, actually, it states that, you know, really, we've got the coat of arms, the white coat of arms uh, emblazoned on the uh, on the top left corner uh, of our flag. And so, you know, it turns out, first of all, that our flag was was actually created by uh, Louis L. Moore, who was the fraternity's uh, fifth grand sage. And uh, he, he produced the, the first flag of, of uh, the official design and he displayed it at the fourth biennial convocation. Which would, have, which would have been held in 1914, uh, and then, uh, which was, by the way, in Champaign, Illinois. And he then, I guess, displayed it again at the Fifth Convocation at uh, Ada, Ohio in 1916. And uh, that first original flag was a what was referred to as a splendid piece of handiwork in silk with the proper colors laid on with oil paints and gold. And uh, Brother Moore uh, had bestowed this flag on Delta Chapter from uh, University of Pennsylvania, and then it was uh, preserved in the custody of the uh, the Grand Herald, and I guess it eventually made its way uh, to the national headquarters. Um, but uh, in fact, you know, the the, the following uh, I'll just read uh, the original constitutional requirements for the Sigma Pi flag. It said that the flag of Sigma Pi shall be a lavender field with the Greek letters Sigma and Pi, and the coat of arms of the fraternity emblazoned in white thereon. The letters shall occupy the center of the field, and the coat of arms shall be placed in the upper corner nearest the staff. The cross in the center of the coat of arms shall be of gold. The width of the flag shall be five feet. The length along the upper and lower edges shall be seven feet. And the length along the, the line equidistant from the upper and lower edges shall be six feet. The total height of the coat of arms shall be 18 inches and the total width 15 inches. So it was very specific in terms of, of the dimensions. And uh, even now, I mean, I, when I was an undergraduate, I purchased the, the, you know, the full five by seven flag, which is the official size. You know, they also sell the flag these days in the in a three by five size. But uh, when I got the five by seven, uh, when I was an undergrad and uh, it had the coat of arms on it, because I guess I, I was a nerd and I wanted the official flag. But however, at, at some point, I guess they started making the, the coat of arms in all white, whereas this original description actually said that the, that the uh, in the center of the coat of arms, uh, the cross should be gold, which we no longer do. So um, it's sort of an interesting uh, history uh, behind the flag. Um, but uh, but again, I think both are still available for purchase if you need one for your chapter house or just for your for your dorm room or something like that. 
Um, but uh, it's it's you know all credit to uh, past Grand Sage Lewis Elmore of Kappa Chapter for uh, the original design. Well, and to your point, Christian, you know I've I've seen plenty of the unofficial flags hanging up at fraternity houses. You know, like you mentioned, the dorm rooms or just, you know, across our, our campus, or across our campuses, rather. So it's interesting to hear that those, that's not the official flag of Sigma Pi. You know, it's still still welcomed and still widely used, but there, there's another flag out there that our brothers could be looking into. So oh, absolutely. But, and I will say that, the, you know, the, the flag, the, the more commonly seen flag, uh, which is the one with the, with the 10 gold stars in the equilateral triangle, uh, that is still, you know, "Quote unquote," somewhat official because it's it's our officially our alternate flag. So it is still provided for in our governing documents as the alternate flag, much the same way with our flower that you know the lilac and the lilac and white roses, you know, with the golden rod as an auxiliary is sort of the alternate flower. Same thing applies to our flag. Very nice, good to know. Our next question today: I'd love for somebody to walk us through how the original version of the National Executive Office differs from what we know today as the Grand Council. It's a bit convoluted, and so I will do my best to sort of uh, trudge through it and give our brothers an easy to understand uh, a historical, you know, understanding of of how the terminology of our grand officers has has changed and sort of evolved over the year, uh, over the years. And um, it's it's really a you know a, a rich sort of walk through our history because as we know, when our fraternity first became a quote unquote national fraternity, it, it was done through the machinations of, of uh, Robert George Patterson, who, of course, foisted upon an uh, unsuspecting Tau Phi Delta group. And, uh, you know, he originally reached out to them in December of 1906. By February 11th, 1907, Tau Phi Delta had, uh, you know, disbanded as such and had taken on the name Alpha Chapter of Sigma Pi. And so because, you know, they had, quote unquote, joined a national fraternity, even though it was, you know, one with an apocryphal history that was completely fabricated by Patterson himself, not to be confused, by the way, with founder George Martin Patterson. There was no relation between the two Pattersons, of course. But Robert George Patterson had not only invented, you know, this fake history for his Sigma Pi fraternity uh, that he then, you know, duped a number of uh, men into joining, but he also, of course, created a ritual for this fabricated fraternity as well as a constitution and a full government, uh, really, for you know, how how this Sigma Pi fraternity would be governed um, at the time. And so, uh, you you have to first understand that things were a lot different back then. You know, there was no executive office, there was no central office or headquarters. And so, in the early days of our fraternity, uh, like most fraternities, the the day to day administrative and executive functions were actually carried out by the national officers, or as we know them today, are the grand officers. When uh, the executive office was established in Sigma Pi's case in the uh, in the mid 1920s, the executive secretary, uh, the first of whom was Harold Jacobson, of course, you know, one of our honorary grand sages and just a, a lion in, in sort of our history. Yeah, you know, the executive office assumed a lot of those day to day administrative responsibilities, and so it's important to sort of understand uh, that so you can understand the evolution of the titles and the terminology and nomenclature. So. Under Patterson's constitution, so we're talking, you know, from 1907 until 1910, when Patterson's expulsion was ultimately ratified at the second biennial convocation in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, um, there were, you know, national officers. You had your national president. Uh, and this, by by the way, is before we had the, the titles Grand Sage, Grand Second Counselor, Grand Herald, et cetera. 
you know, which those titles came into being when we adopted the Golden Quest because they have a ritualistic significance for Sigma Pi, of course. So uh, initially, before there was a Golden Quest, when Patterson had his constitution and his ritual, the titles of the of the Grand Officers, which were then known as National Officers, were National President, National Vice President at large. And that sort of stems back to, you know, this idea of province archons, which we talked about in our, in our you know, previously, our previous episode, that Back then, they had a vice president for every state who would, was to be known as a regent, which ultimately became sort of your province archon system. So you had this national vice president at large, and then you had a master of the exchequer, which was our treasurer at the time, national treasurer. Then they had a national secretary. They had provisions for an assistant secretary. Then they had a secretary of this thing called the Board of Inquiry, which handled petitions and expansion, uh, petitions to charter and expansion and the like. And so that's the way we operated, where you had, you know, just national officers. They weren't really collectively known as anything but national officers. But Patterson also had a, a, a uh, something known as an executive committee that sort of was an overarching body of, quote unquote, fraternity elders, which uh, focused uh, uh, also some of its energy on being a court of appeals for judicial issues and disciplinary issues and matters. And so, you know, the grand officers... You know, national president, the national secretary obviously had a lot of that day-to-day administrative function under their purview, but this executive committee, as it was called then, was these fraternity elders who sort of had a lot of um, autonomy to make policy without necessarily any approval of the national conventions when they were assembled or these national officers. And so you then fast forward to 1910, uh, after the Patterson episode gets exposed and the fraternity is sufficiently humiliated by that and it's starting to sort of reconstruct and repair its reputation both uh, internally among its chapters and externally in the larger interfraternity world or Greek world, you know, we really had to, you know, change and cast off some of those Patterson, um, you know, inventions and kind of create our own path. And so, Obviously, in 1910, we adopt the Golden Quest, which was the work of M. Alley Ermold and Byron Lewis. Uh, that was sort of, uh, it had its derivation in the original Sigma Delta ritual. Sigma Delta, of course, being the local fraternity that eventually became our fourth chapter or Kappa chapter at Temple University. And so at that point, we then adopted the titles that we use today for our, our grand officers, you know, Grand Sage, etc., but we also still had this executive committee, which was a vestige of Patterson. I mean, they didn't they didn't get rid of all the Patterson in, inventions right right away, and many of them exist to this day. You know, for example, the emerald that was a Patterson invention. Our very name was a Patterson invention. You know, the colors of the fraternity was a Patterson invention. So a lot of that stuff today is still very much up uh, uh, had the Patterson touch. But the executive committee eventually gave way and, and its name was changed to executive council, but it was still this body of elders. And then that started to slowly change as we marched toward this executive office in the mid-1920s. At that point, the uh, individual grand officers did less and less of the day-to-day function of actually running the operations of the fraternity. And they became more of the board of directors that we have today where you know, they were volunteers and they weren't paid, unlike the executive office staff, you know, the executive secretary and then ultimately his team as he later, you know, uh, had a traveling secretary that worked underneath him. And we eventually expanded that, you know, and expanded that further as we have today, a much larger, more robust staff. The the uh, grand officers eventually assumed the uh, executive council uh, as a name 
referring to the entire board of directors. And in the 1960s, I think it was either 62 or 64, that body became known as the Grand Council, which we have today. And then our chapter officers collectively became known as an executive council. And so you can see how the, the names and the terminology have changed quite a bit over the years. It does get a little confusing as you move from the Patterson era to you know uh, 1912 and beyond, where we really started to uh, see much of what we see today come into being. But uh, you know now today, you know we again have you know our our grand officers with with the current titles, but again we're functioning more as a as a nonprofit cor or corporate board of directors. Uh, and we still have, you know, those administrative functions, even in 2023, that are handled, you know, by our executive office and our staff. So hope, hopefully that answers your question. It's a bit of a deep dive and happy to talk to any of our brothers offline about it if they want some source material, you know, kind of showing the evolution of our of our titles and our history with regard to our national officers and the executive office. But uh, but there it is. There's, that's part of our lost history. You know, Joe knows this about me, Christian, but I'm a huge history buff. So being able to hear how our fraternity has developed over 126 years is super interesting for me. And I know that many of our listeners are enjoying this, this, like you said, deep dive into the fraternity's history and what has been lost to time. So well, super interesting. And I appreciate you sharing. Absolutely. I'll just add one more thing. I mean, I, I forgot to mention that, you know, eventually the, 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 that group of elders was sort of subsumed and and became sort of synonymous with the executive council, which eventually became the grand council. So there stopped being this, you know, uh, super legislative body and super judicial body, which was that group of elders. And when we, when the executive office came into being, then we basically just had two, you know, two bodies. You had your, your grand officers and then your executive office. There was no longer this uh, additional group sort of overseeing the national officers, if that makes sense. I just wanted to kind of clarify that. My last question for the day. What can you tell us about the history around the fraternity's official flower? Well, according to the 1923 Sigma Pi book, which was sort of the fraternity's first attempt, you know, at laying out our history in a, in a printed form, other than what you know had appeared in the several issues of the Emerald. Uh, and 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 I'll preface that by saying, you know, that the Sigma Pi book, its its authors, Lewis Elmore, Curtis G. Shake, and and Byron Lewis, didn't consider it an exhaustive history or complete history. They had always hoped. Um, that future generations would, uh, you know, put out a more comprehensive uh, and, and full history of the fraternity, which, which is something that we are actively working on today. But, you know, when we're talking about the flower, we have to recognize that, you know, before there was Sigma Pi, there was, of course, Tau Phi Delta. And, um, you know, I actually scoured all of the Tau Phi Delta minutes that we have in our archives. I also looked at the original Tau Phi Delta constitution that we have, the oldest of which is the uh, from the 1899 reorganization of, of Tau Phi Delta. And I couldn't find anything about the flower. However, in this 1923 Sigma Pi book, it actually says that Tau Phi Delta's flower was the red clover. Now, I don't know if that was uh, unofficial because it wasn't in any of the governing documents or their constitution or bylaws at the time, but um, it was said, and so we have to assume that that is the case, that the red clover was the fraternity's official flower, even though it wasn't ever the flower of Sigma Pi when since we've been known as such, but um, if the fraternity doesn't, in fact, date back to 1897, the days of, of Tau Phi Delta, then the red, the red clover would be our, uh, our our first flower, and it remained so, I guess, until you know Tau Phi Delta became the alpha chapter of Robert George Patterson's apocryphal Sigma Pi fraternity, which again, as we talked about earlier, uh, had a completely fabricated history, a fabricated constitution, and a fabricated ritual when you think about it. 
Uh, and you know, the first mention of the flower, though, is, as we know today, is in Patterson's Fabricated Constitution, circa 1907, which states that, and I'll quote, it says, quote, the flowers of the Sigma Pi fraternity are the lilac and white rose, end quote. However, in a letter to Byron R. Lewis dated April 2nd, 1908, Patterson himself writes that, quote, the flowers are either the lavender orchid or the white rose and lilac, end quote. So after Patterson's expulsion from the fraternity uh, in 1910, Byron R. Lewis and Lewis L. Moore uh, were tapped to basically draft a new constitution, which we now know as the Lewis Moore Constitution, uh, circa 1912. And in that 1912 constitution, Article 10, Section 3 provides that, quote, the flower of Sigma Pi is the lavender orchid, but owing to the rarity of this flower, the lilac and white rose may be used together, together with the goldenrod in the fall. And so really from that point forward, you know, uh, it was really solidified that, you know, the lavender orchid was the flower. And then the, the lilac and white rose, um, you know, could be used together with the goldenrod in the fall as some sort of, you know, alternate flower. Now, some other terminology, uh, for example, um, in, in our Constitution, it, it may say, for example, may be used as an auxiliary. Uh, that language would later be adopted in connection with this alternate flower. And at some point, that seasonal usage provision, you know, about using the goldenrod in the fall, that was also later dropped. But today, interestingly, and we're still doing some research around this, today the Constitution of Sigma Pi reads that, quote, the flower of the fraternity shall be the orchid, with the lilac and white rose together as an alternate, the goldenrod may be used in the, as an auxiliary. And so what immediately jumped out to me when I was reading you know, sort of the current iteration of our Constitution is that the word lavender no longer officially appears in our Constitution. Um, it was omitted at least a decade ago. Uh, we're trying to pinpoint when exactly, although I think it was probably a bit even further back than that. But its omission, I think, was possibly either a typographical error as they were you know, transcribing, you know, one constitution to the next, uh, you know, as they update it every biennium after the con uh, convocation, rather. But it's also entirely possible that the change was made because brothers may have had a difficult time finding lavender-colored orchids. And so maybe it was their brilliant idea at some later point to just say, well, let's just call it the orchid, get rid of the word lavender or the color lavender, and it'll make it easier for brothers to procure this. I think that's less likely the case. I think, again, you know, because if, if you look at, at the uh, at the I Believe manual, the Sigma Pi manual, and, you know, ask Chris Carter who works on that, it still has lavender orchid in there. And so I think probably it was some sort of mistake. And, you know, as Joe talked about in an earlier episode um, when we were talking about potentially, you know, going from province uh, to region in terms of, you know, our province archons becoming regional advisors, you know, which is, you know, nomenclature better understood, I think, by most lay people. I think when most people think about our our colors and our flower, they, they'd absolutely have, you know, lavender in there uh, before orchid. And so, after all, you know, lavender is one of the fraternity's official colors. So I would argue that uh, it would be, uh, it would probably make sense to have lavender um, added as a prefix to orchid, you know, in some later, you know, constitutional amendment, just to make sure that it's back in there. But again, Hopefully before the next convocation, we'll pinpoint exactly when the change was made. And, you know, as we always talk about, you know, we've got this great uh, wealth of knowledge in the digital Emerald Archive online on SigmaPi.org. So maybe you undergraduate brothers out there can help, uh, you know, Pastor Grand Sage Palazzolo and I as we work on the National History Book 
actually determine if there was some you know good reason to make the change or if it was just some sort of scrivener's or typographical error where they forgot to uh, you know include the word lavender before orchid. But uh, but in short, or I should say in long long story short or short story long, that is the history and the evolution of the sigma pi flower. Very interesting indeed, and um, you know something that we're we're quite proud of. Thank you, Christian, for providing some great insight on these unique moments in our fraternity's history. For everyone listening, hit the subscribe and please leave a rating and review on your favorite podcast platform. And as always, I believe.